Hey everyone, welcome to Handing the Shame Back. I'm Gloria Masters, your host, and it's my absolute honour to bring this to you amazing survivors everywhere in the world. We have lots of content we bring you, mainly focused on, on you wonderful people. And uh, through sharing of your stories, you're helping people, you just don't know how much. Equally, for those who are watching and listening, there will be things that you hear that may resonate so deeply with you, you have an aha moment. So as with all shows, we have a trigger warning and that is designed so that for you, uh, you, if you feel anxious or upset or triggered in any way, please do stop watching. Go to the show notes below and you'll be directed for some help and resource. Have I got a survivor for you? You guys are going to love me. Please meet Kathy Studer. She is from Ohio. She is a survivor and award-winning author, a child sexual abuse prevention advocate and a mental health advocate. Not much happening there then, I hear you say. No! <laughs> There's heaps happening. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Oh, thank you so much, Gloria. It is an honor to be here. And uh, thank you also for what you do, the awareness you raise and the support you give. So very much appreciated. Oh, thank you, Kathy. That's beautiful. So as with with all guests, Kathy, um, it's important for us, as I just stated, to understand the context what happened to you, the age you were and who was around, simply so that our beautiful audience watching might get uh, a few techniques or, or things that you say that really speak to them deeply. So I guess as much or as little as you're prepared to share would be a gift to us. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I was a very young girl. At age six, I was a natural, curly, brown-eyed, wide-eyed, innocent girl who loved life. And my mom worked evenings at work because she paid. She got paid more money that way. And my parents actually divorced when I was one. And then my mom remarried when I was um, five years old. And at age six, while my mom was working nights, um, there was a night where I had gone to bed and I had a big, green, fluffy bunny that I absolutely loved. I call him Rabbit. He was about three feet in size. I'd just gotten him for Easter. And when I went to bed at night, I would hug him goodnight and I would have his back face one side of the room and I would face the other because he was my protector. He was going to protect me from any nighttime monsters from underneath the bed. And that night I hugged rabbit. I rolled over. I went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, a light came on and flickered into my room. And I saw the shadow standing at the end of my bed. And that shadow was my stepfather. And unfortunately the night that night, the monster would come, but it would not come from under the bed. The monster was my stepfather. And that night he started sexually abusing me. 
And he told me it was my fault and that I was bad and that I deserved it. And very sadly, that progressed for six years. And he also told me that my mom wanted him to do this to me and that she didn't want to talk about it. That was his way of preventing me from trying to tell her. And there were several times in those six years where I wanted to tell her. I felt like I should. But sadly, the shame was so immense. The longer it lasted, the bigger the shame became. And I didn't feel like I could tell her. And I never did. Yet within that, I am grateful to say the night it ended, my mom responded like a hero. My mom responded in the manner that I would hope and pray every single adult would respond. And sadly, from all the stories that I know of, it does not happen this way. It was a New Year's Eve night. I was allowed to stay up and have special treats and pop, my brother and I both. And after, shortly after midnight, after I'd fallen asleep on the couch, my mom nudged me and told me it was time to go to bed. And I did. And about an hour and a half after that, um, I awoke again with a light gleaming into my bedroom with the shadow sitting at the end of my bed. This time, it was not my stepfather. This time, it was my mom. And she gently woke me up. And she said to me, she showed me letters. And I'm going to come back and explain the letters. And she asked me if the letters were my handwriting, even though she knew they were. And I said, yes. And in those letters, the last two to three years of the abuse by my stepfather, um, very sadly, to further um, build more shame within myself, he would make me write down what he was going to do to me before he did it. And with his sick pleasure, he kept those in his wallet so he could go back and look at any time he wanted to. And that night, before my mom came upstairs and woke me up, they had had an argument. And after he left the bedroom, my mom had a sixth sense to look in his wallet. And when she did, that's when she found the letters and she woke me up and she asked me, she said, how long had this been going on? And I said, six years. And she grabbed my face and she said, this ends tonight. Stay in your bedroom. And so my mom went back downstairs. And that night, my mom kicked my stepfather out of the house. I could hear her yelling. There were definitely some adjectives used. And... You know, the interesting part is as a child, I was 12 at that time. And I, I, I remember the immense, immense sense of relief knowing that my nighttime nightmare for six years had just ended. 
what I was totally unaware of is that was just the beginning of massive healing and a, quite frankly, a pilgrimage to pull my broken pieces back together. Because quite frankly, after child sexual abuse, you are broken. And the shame was immense. I had no worth. I didn't know my value. And I didn't have body boundaries. So it was at age 12, that's when the healing began. However, I have to say my gratitude was immense that my mom responded in the way that she did. Well, she, I need to stop you. You're saying just because there's so many key facets to this, Kathy. I, I forgive me, but it would be really healing for our audience or helpful for our audience if you're okay for me to just talk about a few things you've raised. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. When we look at grooming of children and grooming of you as a beautiful little six-year-old, you know these levels of grooming and these types of grooming. But the interesting thing is I've never heard this said, that not only did he tell you that your mother wanted this to happen, but that she didn't want to talk about it. That is psychopathy to its extreme what a clever evil twisted cruel man yes the, the i guess for our beautiful audience watching for most of you guys you've had you've been groomed whether it was written manipulated blamed but this that kathy's just sharing is so powerful so thank you so much for that, because that's another evil twist. I also want to um, check in with you that when in the last few years, I imagine about age 10, he started getting you to write down what he was going to do. Kathy, what would you even call that as you look at, back at that today? How would you describe what that is? Cruelty. Horrific cruelty is, cruelty would be the number one word I would use. It was just so cruel. And, you know, it was horrific what I had to go through in the abuse. But to write it down um, it, it took it to another level. It was another form of mental manipulation. And, you know, perpetrators, sadly, are master manipulators. Hence why the grooming becomes successful yes. or what they do um, perpetuates because they they sadly have learned or figure out a way to manipulate the child's thinking and their thought process. And if you think you're bad, and if you think you deserve this, why would you tell? And I didn't have, I didn't have that feeling that I could tell 
because I did deserve it. And I didn't want my friends to know. I didn't want other adults to know. I didn't even tell my brother because I didn't want anybody to know. And you've just coined another thing. So uh, I think it's really powerful when you're considering, you know, that you you didn't want anyone to know what you're thinking about. And, and there we have the abuse cycle continue because as children and as a child, you didn't have the capacity to use words because he'd so cleverly shut down any aspect of that, but therefore you were alone in this. And that's where the shame begins to build, doesn't it, Kathy? Oh, de most definitely, yes. So you, you coming on handing the shame back, you see, allows all of us to feel less shame because... You know, you think of you with your beautiful protector, your beautiful green three-foot-tall protector called Rabbit, who we love. And if I showed you a photo of you with him now, would you say, Gloria, I could have said no. <laughs> I could have. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'll be honest, I honestly feel, and I believe in my soul that if anyone, anyone would have talked to me about body boundaries or that I had the ability to say no, or if anything, anybody ever did anything to me that made me feel incredibly uncomfortable that I should always tell. And I, I, no one ever said any of those things to me or taught those to me. Well, and I, I'd love to do a little bit of a deep dive with you and understand when you talk about body boundaries, specifically what you're talking about and how that was to go on and impact you. Because I think survivors watching, this is a key aspect for us. On the inside, Kathy, I imagine every part of you was screaming, no. Yes. So can you talk us through a little bit of about that, how that's manifested? A, what body boundaries are to you and how it's played out, if that's okay. Absolutely. Well, body boundaries are where we have the ability to say no to any form of touch, any form of touch and, and understand that, you know, it could even, it could be a hug. It could be a kiss. It could be, it, it doesn't have to be touched within our private parts. If I was talking to children, um, I would take it further saying that, you know, they've got boundaries with their private parts, which are the parts that their underwear cover or their bathing suit covers and it, it knowing that you don't because i didn't know i had body boundaries that evolved into so many things that happened to me later in life where i couldn't say no this is wrong this is inappropriate and it took a really really long time to understand my value understand my worth, understand that I could have body boundaries and that I could say no. 
And that's hard. You know, sexual abuse breaks that down and unfortunately destroys that. And it makes it so much harder. It wasn't until, which we can talk about later, but it wasn't until I really started adding self-compassion into my life. Could I then fully understand yes. I do have body boundaries. I do have worth. I do have value. Yeah. Uh, and thank you so much because I, I think that's such a key point and it's not one that we've ever kind of looked at on the show before. And I'm so glad that you raised that, Kathy. Because I can imagine as a teenager, can you even give us one example of perhaps as when you were safe from him, your mother, the hero, leapt in at 12, and I want to come back to that as well. An example of maybe as a teenager, when the body boundaries, you hadn't got the confidence as yet or courage to set your boundary. Can you think of an example? I absolutely can. On a couple of my first dates in high school, in the car with young men asking me to do or encouraging me to do inappropriate things. And I felt like I had to. Yeah. I didn't feel like I could say no. Because again, I didn't know that I had body boundaries. Yeah. That if I wasn't ready or if I wasn't comfortable, I could say no. And isn't it interesting? Thank you for that because survivors watching, our boundaries are, are intrinsic. They're they reside within and for all children. And beautiful Kathy, thank you so much for your contribution to us today. Um, for all of us, they're there. They don't even need to be thought about or looked at because if we are in a family where boundaries are respected and we are safe and there's, there is no sexual or physical or emotional abuse, they're just there and we take them for granted. But for those of us that have experienced child sexual abuse, and Kathy put it so beautifully, that's taken from us because the most crucial boundary has been broken and that is the trust between a parent meant to protect and us, let alone the body boundary. So I'm not surprised. Boundaries are big for survivors. Kathy, looking at your mother, the hero, I love your mother. I'm so glad she, she put on that cape and she just slept in and this ends tonight. It makes me go all goosey. How beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And it was hard. I mean, she made that decision to protect her children, even though she knew that was going to come with financial consequences. Well, so as you uh, progressed, you know, you had your, you turned 12, mum let down, it did have financial consequences. The earth shattering relief, can you describe that for us? Oh, it, it it was immense. I I just remember going to bed that night and back to bed and I cried 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 and it 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 was a different cry. 
it was a way of expelling a form of relief that the worst part of my life that I had to endure was was over and and part of me was even almost in shock if I can say that I mean I truly was it was hard to believe yet the tears and it was days later that I cried again by myself to again another release of oh my gosh this is actually over I I am grateful, you know, what did I, what I truly could understand grateful to be at age 12 and relieved. And, and that was a gift that truly was a gift. And you know what I would want people to know and understand it. it and we, we're going to talk more about that, but healing is always possible. And yet the trauma event that we endured as a survivor actually leaves an imprint on the brain in the neural pathways. If a parent responds appropriately, it, it, it's a form of healing. It, it's just a small, tiny piece of healing. Yet, if a parent does not, the one that the child believes loves them, protects them, should defend them when that doesn't happen. It's it's a second traumatization to the survivor. A hundred percent. And and I think alongside that, um I, I totally agree with you. And I wonder what you think of this. Because of the abuse occurring for us and, and wonderful ones watching we self-love was not available to us we could not afford to hate or actively dislike the abuser because we were children and dependent on them so what we did was turn it back onto ourselves and i think that's why to this day some of some of us as survivors can struggle at times with self-love and yeah i guess uh, as I'd just love to know what you think of that. Um, I know sometimes survivors can talk about, Kathy not giving themselves enough of a break at lunchtime or pushing themselves too hard or saying yes to things when they mean no, not just body boundaries, but personal boundaries, you know. So I guess how does that play out? Do you ever find that yourself? Um Oh, most definitely. <laughs> um, I, I'm blessed to say that now in my life, I am in a really good place. And self-compassion was an attribute that I started to add, but not until my 20s. And I'm going to be really honest and say, even though I am in a very good place, I go backwards and I think healing for survivors is evergreen. I, I think it's a continuation. The gift, and once we know we can add it, we deserve it, we become more aware when we go backwards. And I definitely go backwards. I go backwards in a way where I, my self-conversations, I'm hard on myself. Yes. 
And, or I beat myself up, but like, if I did something wrong or I made a mistake and I'm like, oh, why did you do that? You were so stupid. You're, I mean, what? And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. No, I wasn't stupid. It was just a mistake. And, or, or where I even question, am I enough to do something? Am I enough? Am I really enough? And with the within the gift of awareness, I raise my awareness and I go back and go, okay, hang on, Kathy, give yourself the gift of self-compassion. What would you say to your best friend? Yes, I love this. If your best friend said, oh my gosh, why did I do that? I'm so stupid. What are you going to say to them? Well, you need to look in the mirror and say it to yourself. And that is perfect. And that's a perfect place for us to end our part one with you, Kathy. Um, survivors, we are going to come back and bring part two to you. But please stay there, Kathy. Um, in the meantime, you know, how wonderful, what a wonderful conversation for us to experience. And there's so many things Kathy's raised that I think can benefit us because as survivors, what I love about what Kathy said is, you know, in the going backwards at times, and we all do, we're not just going to keep going forward. We have to take steps back. Why? Because we're human. <laughs> We are human. We're allowed to get it wrong. We're allowed to make mistakes. We're allowed to have negative self-talk. But it's important, as Kathy points out, that we equally do face into that when possible. So um, I'm excited to have you with us. I'm looking forward to our part two. And you'll find all the links to her resources, books, things that she's doing in the show notes below. But just as we're finishing up part one, I know you know what I'm going to say. I see you. I stand beside you. And I believe you. 